0: Laudator Jesus Christus, praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, managing editor of Catholic Family News. And I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the editor in chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. I hope you're doing well this first week of May. And welcome to all of our viewers who are joining us live and all those who will watch this video later on. Uh, We thank you for joining us today. Hope you're doing well, Brian. Yes, happy Feast of St. Pius V. Yes, indeed. And we have a great lineup of stories for you today. The first of which, uh, most of you, many of you have probably heard this leaked draft opinion of the United States Supreme Court, specifically Justice Samuel Alito, concerning the fate of Roe v. Wade. So we'll provide the background information, how this story has developed throughout the week. And then Brian will uh, provide some legal analysis from his expertise as a a lawyer and a professor of law. We're also going to look at a recent interview, an interview published earlier this week uh, with Pope Francis to an interview that he gave to an Italian outlet. And he talks about, he reiterates basically his desire to meet with President Vladimir Putin of Russia, even uh, says he's open and ready to go to Moscow which would certainly be historic if that actually happens. I I don't think it will, but we'll see. And he also has some interesting things to say, some speculation regarding the causes of the Ukraine conflict. So we'll take a look at that. Uh, Our third story today involves this recently unveiled um, so-called disinformation governance board, Uh, That was actually the story about this broke around the same time last our broadcast last week. We just didn't have time to include it and we had lots of other material to discuss. So we're going to break down the details of that story today, uh, which many people are calling this online, as you've probably seen, Biden's so-called Ministry of Truth, hearkening back to the George Orwell novel 1984. And it certainly has some applicable parallels, as we'll see. We also are going to uh, discuss a new report from the Lepanto Institute, Michael Hitchborn, our friend and colleague, and he's exposed yet again that the USCCB is funding uh, a a pro-abortion group, uh, despite obvious conflict there uh, with church teaching and, and faith and morals. And then finally, we have a positive story to end with today, Uh, It's really about a pilgrimage of tradition. It's about a group of mothers uh, of traditional Catholic priests who walked to Rome in order to beseech Pope Francis to lift the restrictions on the traditional mass and sacraments. So uh, a heroic, uh, heroic act on their part. Before we get into all the news today, as always, we will spend a few moments uh, looking at the liturgical calendar and pondering the things that are above as st Paul says so as Brian mentioned a few moments ago uh, it is the the traditional feast day of Saint Pope st Pius v we're coming to you uh, live on Thursday May 5th 2022 and I just wanted to read the collect for today's mass in the traditional Roman Rite uh, it's very beautiful and it kind of uh, highlights how pope saint Pius v was a crucial pontiff both in the the civil sphere as well as in the ecclesiastical sphere he did a lot of work in both of those spheres and he's certainly a pope uh if god would raise up for us in our day a pope after similar to saint Pius v that would be a wonderful blessing for the church so here's today's colic from mass it says oh god who for the overthrow of the enemies of thy church and for the restoration of divine worship, didst vouchsafe to choose blessed pious as supreme pontiff, grant that we may be defended by his patronage and so cleave to thy service that overcoming all the wiles of our enemies, we may rejoice in perpetual peace." It's a wonderful prayer. last year as i think brian will recall Sophia institute press published a biography about saint pius v written by professor roberto de mattei and it is titled saint pius v the subtitle is the legendary pope who excommunicated queen elizabeth the standardized the mass and defeated the ottoman empire i haven't actually had a chance to read the book in full, I think I've read a, a little bit of it, and it, it was very good what I was able to read. I don't know if Brian's had a chance to review that book, uh, but I'm sure there's lots of excellent literature on uh, Pope St. Pius V, yeah. one of the church's greatest popes.
1: Yes, it was. I did read it. It is, it is a very good book, and really is an all-around pope. I mean, he, he did so much for the church in the world, defended really is the way without him the Holy League would not have formed to hold the the Uh So, and he reformed the city of Rome, and it'd be very corrupt. He ended up so, really, a model pope,
0: yes, definitely. And looking ahead on the liturgical calendar, we have some other good uh, saints and feasts coming up. So, we have uh, this coming Saturday, a Polish saint, St. Stanislaus, a bishop and martyr, patron of Poland, uh, repro- reproached by King Bolislaus the cruel, for his dissolute life. Uh, he reproached the king, rather, I'm sorry. And while saying mass, was put to death by him in 1079. So, bishop and martyr. And then next week, we have uh, a great father and doctor of the church saint gregory nazianzen who was educated at athens in all the sciences with saint basil the great and became bishop of nazianzen uh, and his profound knowledge earned for him the title of doctor and theologian he's also known as gregory the theologian and then also later this uh this coming or next week i should say is May 11th is the Feast of uh, Saints Philip and James, both apostles. So some good, fe- some good uh, feasts, good saints coming up on the calendar. I don't know if Brian had anything yes. else he wanted to add for our liturgical segment.
1: No, just a reminder. Tomorrow's first Friday, and then first Saturday. And uh, oh, yes, we very good. Particularly, reminder. can make the communion of reparation on the first Saturday, as Our Lady requested. That's yes. something we can completely do. We don't need a pope or bishop for that. We can do that on our own.
0: Yes, definitely. That would be the best Mother's Day present that we could give to Our Lady. Yes. I should mention this coming Sunday is Mother's Day, so. We wish all of the the mothers who watch our program a happy Mother's Day in advance, and we hope you have a wonderful day with your families.
1: Yes. So, turning to our first story then of the week, this is the big news: a major leak out of the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, before diving into the story, I, I do want to impress upon everyone how significant this is. Uh, there has never been. A anything like this in the history. I've been trying to find, you know, nothing certainly in my lifetime, but I tried to do some research. Nothing like this has ever happened with the Supreme Court before with a draft opinion. Interestingly, the closest that we've ever come to this was a few hours before Roe v. Wade, the horrendous uh, decision that created abortion, uh, was released. It was leaked to the public. Um, just again, but that was already decided. It was done. It just was put out a few hours early. Uh, nothing like this. But that this is absolutely extraordinary. And uh, really, I hope that the U.S. Marshals, that Congress, someone does something about this, the person that has done this, um, because it really is extraordinary. So what are we talking about? Well, this week, uh, Politico published what purported to be a draft opinion uh, dated in February for the Dobbs case. Now, that is the case we've reported on before, where uh, the U.S. Supreme Court is considering a Mississippi ban on abortion at 15 weeks. Uh, And this is a, together with appendices, about a 98-page draft opinion, which, if nothing has changed or does change, would overrule Roe versus Wade. Uh, now and that,
0: that law is actually was passed, I think, in twenty eighteen and it's kind of been it's been challenged in court, so it hasn't been able to be enacted, right? But it actually it has passed the well, Mississippi legislature and was signed into well, law.
1: It it was enacted, it hasn't been able to be enforced because enforced, yes, it's, that's right, yeah. it's been enjoined by uh, lower federal courts. So right now, the decision the Supreme Court was reviewing is a lower court struck it as unconstitutional. So before we get into it, maybe let's just explain a little bit how the Supreme Court works. Uh, so the nine justices here, oral argument, that happened in December. And then usually within a very short period, within a week, often, depending, you know, unless there's some intervening event, uh, they meet in what's called conference and they each cast straw poll votes. Uh, what mm-hmm. Which way would they decide the case? Then wh- whichever Decision has a majority of justices. The most senior justice in that group assigns one of them to begin drafting an opinion. What would be the opinion of the court? And the opinion is very important. The result obviously is important. But beyond Mississippi, the opinion, the writing will be important because it will explain the scope of the decision. Uh, and does it apply nationwide? What does it mean? So it, it, it is very uh, significant. Then what happens for several months, uh, usually a draft is written, it's circulated among the justices. Those in the majority can you know, give opinions or you know mark it up with comments or things they'd like some wording changed. But justices can then also move around a bit. Some of them might concur in the result but write their own separate opinion. Others might write a dissent. Now, the only opinion that matters is the opinion of the majority of the court. Uh, The others are just for precatory, persuasive reasons to just state what they want to say differently. So what we know from the Politico leaked opinion is this opinion is being written by Justice uh, Samuel Alito, uh, who has been on the court for uh, quite some time. Uh, You can see him. I don't know if you can see my cursor or not. The far, the bottom row. Yeah. uh, Yeah. The far you can. Okay. Uh, That that is Samuel Alito. Uh, He wrote this draft opinion and uh, circulated it. Uh, And uh, the Supreme Court in a very, again, extraordinary circumstance, Justice John Roberts in a public statement confirmed the authenticity of this draft, that it was a draft. And then understandably confirmed that this is not a final decision of the court. It, it will not be until officially published. Um, but he did confirm that this is a really a leaked uh, document. So you know, we have uh, highest confirmation that it is uh, real. Now, again, until they make their final vote and sign and issue the opinion, which would likely be under normal circumstances late June, Um, this has no force of law. This is only a draft. It's, you know, like you don't get a grade on your draft paper that you maybe submit. Um, But it it is very difficult to discern how this might affect it, whether they would more quickly issue the opinion because this is out or whether it will maybe be delayed as a result. I don't know that answer. Uh, But that's really the background overview uh, of what's happened. Now, again, with the caveat, this may not be the opinion of the court, um, what what does it say? Well, as I said, most importantly, it holds that uh, Roe v. Wade, 1973, was wrongly decided, uh, is not a proper interpretation of the Constitution. The Constitution does not include a right to kill your child in your womb and therefore is overruled, meaning it no longer has the force of law. Uh, this is a rare thing that the Supreme Court can do and has done. Again, rare because generally when they make a decision, they think, well, for the sake of people relying on inconsistency, we should stick with it, even if it's not perfect. When they choose to overrule it, it's because time has shown it was such a horrifically wrongly decided opinion that the costs of changing course are outweighed by the harm the opinions caused. So it is really uh, very significant. Uh, the mo- really the most significantly known uh, Supreme Court overruling was Brown versus Board of Education, which overruled Plessy versus Ferguson, case which was discussed a lot of the oral argument, which said that uh, separate was equal, that you could treat people on the basis of race differently and that that's not unequal. That was overruled and as an impossible legal standard. Uh, and And really, there have been some other overrulings, but that is probably the most popularly known instance.
0: And something, an important point I wanted to mention in the introduction to Justice Alito's draft opinion, both the petitioners, meaning those in favor of Mississippi's Gestational Age Act, and the respondents, those against the Mississippi law, have said that a review of Roe, as well as Casey in 1992 decision is necessary in order to render a decision in the in, at the current time as Justice Alito mentions at the end of his introduction, he says that the respondents, quote, tell us that no half measures are available. We must either reaffirm or overrule Roe and Casey. So, this draft opinion is not the result of what, you know, people on the left are claiming judicial activism or anything like that. It's simply responding to a specific request from all parties concerned. Everyone recognizes that. Roe and Casey have to be reviewed and either upheld or overturned. Those are the only two options.
1: Right. And uh, and again, he makes a very strong, uh, again, there's a lot of appendices because he has a lot of detailed uh, information, but the main text of the opinion is over 60 pages. And what he basically argues this is is first, it it declared something in the constitution, which appears nowhere there. Uh, it was just basically invented out of thin air uh, and it created a legal standard that has shown itself to be unworkable. Again, the uh, and that had no basis in law. Justice Blackmun, who wrote Roe v. Wade, which, which, by the way, to remind us that things aren't over till they're over, Roe v. Wade at the first conference, the judges voted to deny the case and to allow the Texas law against criminalization of abortion to stand. Uh, that they said there was no right to abortion. Then there were a lot of political pressure put on the justices. Some of them were threatened with some blackmail. And then they switched their votes and re-voted and then voted in favor of uh, allowing abortion. So it's interesting that there were some shenanigans uh, going on back then. But in any event, he says it's, it's unworkable standard. What Roe says is there are sort of three areas, of three trimesters of pregnancy. And then there's this thing called viability that they can't really define and that you're allowed to restrict abortion after viability, not completely ban it, but have some regulation, some restriction, but nothing Mm -hmm. before. It was completely unworkable. And that's why the decision in Planned Parenthood v. Casey came up in 1992, in which, again, the court made a bad situation worse. Um, They they realized, they said viability was unworkable. You couldn't, it it, it was no real standard. uh, And um, they admitted that there are legitimate regulations of, of that the state can make. So they came up with an even more unworkable standard called no undue burden, that you cannot put a, quote, undue burden on
0: abortion. Well, what does that mean? Which is very subjective, yes.
1: Yes. And it was a very muddled decision. There was actually no majority. There were several concurring opinions. There was a plurality opinion, but no majority of the justices uh, agreed with anything. Several of them, including Thomas, said he would overrule it. Um, But Alito going through this shows how there's no basis in law, Anglo-American history, the Constitution. There's no fundamental right to abortion ever been recognized. He goes through all the laws of every state that regulated or outright banned
0: abortion. Very, very thorough. Very
1: very thorough. He goes through the legislative history uh, of Mississippi when they adopted this law. And this is important because although he doesn't rule, which gives a possibility, Chris Ferrara suggested in in his book, uh, Liberty, the God that Failed, Uh, that the Supreme Court could say you can't have abortion at all. It it denies uh, life from a child without due process of law, which is actually named in the Constitution. The government cannot take away your life without due process. Well, there's no due process. You don't have a court hearing of abortion. Uh, So a court could do that. They obviously in this draft don't do that. Um, But what he does say is it's perfectly reasonable for Mississippi to conclude, based on scientific and other evidence that he relays, that the this is a human being and human life and that they have an interest in protecting the state, has an interest in protecting this unborn life. And mm-hmm. therefore, it's perfectly rational to have rules about uh, religion, which is normally how state laws are evaluated. If the state law has a rational basis then it has to be respected by the Constitution, he says, overwhelmingly. But interesting in making that argument, the fact that he went to the trouble to show all that evidence why this is a human life, uh, really shows he certainly believes that and is on a moral framework very uh, clearly in the right. Uh, But he then, again, goes on to discredit all of the, the attempts of the Supreme Court to prop up, their their fiat decision in roe v wade and in most and then he goes through again this issue the court doesn't lightly change and overrule opinions Mm -hmm. but he says it this basically after 40 over 40 years the decision didn't end anything it made it worse he sort of examines that you know there, there were different and one can have legitimate debates about what laws we should have about abortion you can agree it's wrong just like many things, but say, well, how, what's the best law to stop it, right? And there, there's differences, nuances, Texas has mm-hmm. one approach, et cetera. And that was happening in states. And he says, rather than actually ending this issue for America, it made it even more divisive, more uh, political, and has, you know, ceaselessly never ended. We keep getting cases, he says, at this report, year after year after year of states trying to do things, being struck down, and this is a never-ending cycle. We need to end this once and for all and let each state determine the criminal and other laws of their state with respect to this this issue.
0: Here's a direct quote uh, in that regard, uh, regarding how, how bad Roe is and the problems it's caused. Alito writes in his draft opinion, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. Very well mm-hmm. said.
1: Yes, I mean, if this became the opinion of the court, I think there's not much more we could have hoped for. It is not piecemeal. It's not allow Mississippi, but let's see. It is across the board. Every state that has adopted a restriction, a so-called latent triggering, because a lot of them have. If the Supreme Court does this, here's the law would immediately go into effect, and uh, it, you know it would be. Uh, phenomenal but we really the question is why was this leaked clearly they're desperate the radical marxists saw that they had a solid majority they must have worked them over tried to get them to change their votes you know again why was it leaked now why in may this has been around since february they must have realized time was running out and they were not getting their way so this was a way to try to put public pressure on the judges just today i learned The private home addresses of the uh, five justices who we believe have been leaked and made public so that people can show up at their homes. Uh, And, you know, you may recall there have been several federal judges who have had very strange demises in the past year or two, uh, including the first judge in the Jelaine Maxwell case uh, who was assassinated at her front door. Um, in any event, th- this was leaked for a reason, and uh, they, you know, they. I do not doubt that there will be intense threats, pressure brought on one of these because they may only need one. It appears. It's, it appears. It's not clear what John Roberts is doing, as if he's in the dissent or if he would allow the Mississippi but not over uh, but if they could get to i mean i think alito and thomas in my opinion they're not going to get to no matter i mean they've threatened and beaten up poor justice clarence thomas by attacking his wife so much that there's not much more they could do to the man um right. but you know and and uh, kavanaugh and and uh amy coney barrett in particular i think they have been targeting and trying to get to maybe weaken or change their position uh we just don't know i i think
0: they're presumably justice something- Presumably, Justice Gorsuch would be in favor of this. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: From his prior writing, and I think he is solidly with the uh, Alito and the. Thomas. Again, I don't think that Barrett and, and Kavanaugh are, opposed, are in favor of abortion, but they might be the most open to a halfway house. Uh, OK, we'll allow the Mississippi, but say they're, you know, some abortion laws are OK or some abortions. OK, I, they are the most and mostly those are the most recently put on the court. They haven't had a time as a justice to speak about it. We don't know. Um, But I think I think the liberals are probably threatening and targeting them the the most to at least moderate their position from their perspective and come up with some compromise that doesn't go full bore.
0: So assume, you know, hypothetically, if this does end up being the opinion of the court and it goes into effect, what will this decision do practically speaking? I know you mentioned that certain laws will go into effect. Essentially, it's returning The decision back to the state legislatures, is that correct?
1: Yes, the decision how to deal with abortion would go back to the way it was before 1973 in our whole history. And prior to really 1960, every state outlawed abortion, criminalized, again, in different ways. You know, there's there's different, you criminalize the doctor, the people, but all of the laws that are there uh, would go into force. There are several which are already under injunction, like this law that haven't made it to the Supreme Court yet, um, that uh, would uh, also be able to go into effect uh, fairly quickly. And then any other states that have, Good legislators would be able to enact new laws. To do so I think this. it's
0: important for us to remember, as you know, members of the pro-life community, the pro-life movement, that there's definitely still work to be done even after this happens. This isn't oh, the yes, end. Yes. This is the beginning of of getting uh, of putting an end to abortion. It's not the end so, of the road.
1: Who you elect as governor and your state legislature this year is very important. Also, the, the Marxists and the Democratic Party have announced, uh, Schumer announced just today, I think, that he is going to try to get a law passed through Congress repealing state laws and making abortion codifying essentially the holding of Roe v. Wade that abortion's a federal right. Now there's questions whether that would be constitutional, but he would. He, they're planning to do it. So if they retain the presidency to sign a law and get a majority in the Senate and House that could pass this, um, that they will do that. So the mid the midterm elections are critical uh, that yes. they don't preempt like they did with the court uh, through uh, the, through state. Uh, through either the state or through through the Congress, uh, and this is alluded to a little bit. So we have the reaction of the second Catholic sick president in <laughs> history, uh, Joe Biden, who was asked about this leaked uh, opinion. Why don't we take a look at, at that yes. uh, bumbling response now?
2: Who, uh, <laughs> what was the second one? You want, uh, look, and the second one was on abortion. As I said when I uh, um, when this hit, as I was getting on the plane to go down to Alabama. Um, This is about a lot more than abortion. I hadn't read the whole opinion at that time. But this reminds me of the debate with Robert Bork. Bork believed the only reason you had any inherent rights was because the government gave them to you. If you go back and look at the opening comments Bork Biden when I was questioning him as chairman, I said, I believe I have the rights that I have, not because the government gave to me, which you believe, but because I'm just a child of God, I exist. I delegated. Now, if you could pause it there for
0: just a second. Here. Yes. So, just consider for a moment the uh, astounding hypocrisy in that statement. <laughs> yes. So he's pontificating about, you know, saying that God and not government is the source of our rights, which is a true statement. But simultaneously, he's denying the God-given right to life of unborn children. Yes. Just unbelievable. Well, first of all, he's Brian, mis- he's ahead.
1: mischaracterizing Justice Bork. who you know, Right. Maybe you could explain happened. who that
0: is and that discussion he's referring to.
1: So Robert Bork was nominated to the Supreme Court and Joe Biden was the chair of the Senate Con- uh, Judiciary Committee. Uh, when he was nominated and uh, Bork was uh, basically run out of town and not put on the Supreme court. He was a brilliant judge. And in fact, it totally mischaracterizing his position there. He was a deep natural law scholar who, who unlike Biden, uh, did not say, we don't, we don't, he said the actual opposite of what Biden was trying to say. Right. Uh, he he certainly believed that we had rights through natural law and God, not from the government. Uh, but he, said the constitution doesn't doesn't just we can't just make up rights that aren't in the constitution that are not natural rights and just make them up which is what abortion was there's no exactly. natural right to kill it was a quote c- right a civil right made up by the court out of thin air and he said it is not in the constitution uh so biden was critical in running bork out of town uh and mm-hmm. getting him all, not appointed to the supreme court uh and uh again after he could figure out what the question was he couldn't even remember the <laughs> right the, but what he's getting to here, and he elaborates a little bit more if we have time to look at it, he's right that this is about more than abortion. As important as this is. Uh, there are many, quote, rights that this court following on Roe v. Wade, because all of these issues are connected and preceding it, made up. Uh, now he's going to scare people, particularly Protestants,
2: about what's coming next. So let's look at where he talks I about delegate that. Delegate some, some rights I have to the governments for for social good. So the idea that somehow there is an inherent right, that there is no right of privacy, that there is no right. And remember the debate we had? You don't remember, but we had a debate about <laughs> do <you>. Griswold versus <laughs> Connecticut. There's been a law saying a married couple could not purchase birth control in the privacy of their own bedroom and use it. Well, that got struck down. Griswold was thought to be a bad decision by Bork, and my guess is the guy's on the Supreme Court now what happens if you have a state ch- changes the law saying that 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 children who are lgbtq can't be in classrooms with other children
1: is that so yeah, he's trying to rally the troops, scare everyone, but scare right. even those who are pro-life but who are not really pro-life because they support artificial contraception. Right. they might come and take your contraceptives away from you. Right? but no, even here, happening. I mean, in light,
0: if he actually did read uh, Justice Alito's draft opinion, he he would know that he's being dishonest here as well because yes. Alito says explicitly, quote, and to ensure that our decision is not misunderstood or mischaracterized." we emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt or precedence that do not concern abortion. Although, you know, end quote, although I do agree with Brian that these uh, issues are obviously interrelated because they're all having to do with with procreation and education of children and and marriage and all of that. So,
1: yes, So
0: again, they are going to go full force with this into the elections
1: and try to get elected on uh, scare tactics to get people to overdo the uh, overturn uh, this result. But again, I think we really need to intensify our prayers. This would be a great blessing on our country and something that uh, our would I think have great consequences for our country uh, that our God would. I'm sure reward us to end this at least not completely because I'm sure New York, California, Massachusetts are going to have the abortion mills pumping it out, you know, as radically as they can after this. But at least in parts of our country, stand up for truth and uh, we'd end this. Um, so we need to pray that the shenanigans of leaking this and an attempt to scuttle it are not successful.
0: Right. So as a final note before we move on to our next story. Um, there's also some uh, information being spread online, which seems to be credible, uh, like advertisements on TikTok and such. I got I, someone sent me an email about this or a, an article rather that uh, the pro-abortion lobby is gearing up, apparently specifically going to target uh, Catholic churches this coming Sunday, Mother's Day, uh, encouraging people to go to Catholic churches to disrupt mass and you know basically to shout their slogans or whatever it is they do this is something from catholicvote.org the article says abortion activists to storm catholic churches during mass on mother's day a radical abortion group calling itself ruth sent us and they're on twitter at ruth sent us announced this week that it is mobilizing activists to enter catholic churches during mass this coming sunday in response to reports that the Supreme Court is set to overturn Roe v. Wade. And as Taylor Marshall mentioned in his podcast today, it's interesting that they're going to target Catholic churches because the devil knows who the his real enemy is. It's not the yes. Protestant yes. churches that caved on this yes. decades ago. It is the one true bride of Christ. Yes. So be on the lookout for any uh, strange characters you may see this Sunday and, and plan yes. accordingly all right so our next story is a an interview that pope francis granted to an italian daily newspaper called uh, corriere della sera and the english translation comes to us uh, courtesy of inside the vatican magazine and so the interviewer uh, lucio fontana basically provides it it's not an actual transcript of the interview it's more like a summary of what was discussed So here's what he explained. You know, they cover several different topics. Uh, The two that we're going to focus on are uh, the Pope's desire, reiterated desire to meet with Putin, as well as his speculation regarding the causes of the conflict in Ukraine. So what did he say here? So this is the uh, interviewer's summary. The Holy Father recalls his many attempts at stopping the conflict and reiterates his willingness to travel to Moscow. And it does provide direct quotes from Pope Francis throughout this uh, article. So uh, Pope Francis said, quote, "'The first day of war, I called the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky on the phone, but I didn't call Putin. I had had a chance to speak with him in December for my birthday, but this time, no, I didn't try to contact him.' It was meant to be a clear gesture for the whole world to see, and for that reason, I paid a visit to the Russian ambassador. I asked for explanations and told him, in the name of God, stop this war. Later on, Francis continues, about 20 days into the war, I asked Cardinal Perelin who is the Secretary of State for the Vatican, to convey my message to Putin that I was ready to travel to Moscow for sure. I was waiting for some kind of open, uh, opening gesture from the Kremlin leader. We received no answer whatsoever, but we keep pressing them on this issue. Francis continues. I fear, however, that Putin cannot, or does not want to agree to our meeting at the moment. Well, it's kind of a no brainer, I think. Um, so Pope Francis goes on, um, uh, or that this is the interviewer, rather, providing a summary. Pope Bergoglio's main concern is that Putin won't stop anytime soon. He tries to consider the roots of his behavior, the reasons that are pushing Putin to engage in such a brutal conflict. Uh, Maybe it was, quote, NATO barking at Russia's gate, those are Francis's words, that compelled Putin to unleash the invasion of Ukraine. Quote, I have no way of telling whether his, Uh, His rage has been provoked, Bergoglio wonders, but I suspect, this is Francis talking, it was maybe facilitated by the West's attitude. So that's kind of an interesting development, uh, Pope Francis saying that this could be, the war is obviously not Ukraine's fault in the sense that um, Vladimir Putin is responsible for his decisions. He chose to to do his quote-unquote special military operation. But Francis here is clearly um, at least open to the idea that provocation from the West, not just from Ukraine, but from the entire Western world, could have precipitated this conflict. I don't think he's uh, said that in previous statements or interviews, not that I've seen. So going on, uh, the interviewer explains Those who care for peace are now grappling with the thorny question of weapon deliveries from Western countries to the Ukrainian resistance. The Holy Father, or excuse me, a divisive argument for many, an argument that is likely to split asunder the world of Catholics and pacifists. The Holy Father uh, has his doubts on the matter. His doctrine has always rejected the arms race and strongly condemned any escalation in the production of weapons which might end up being used sooner or later on the battlefield. Here's another quote from Francis. I can't answer that question. I live too far away. I don't know if it is the right thing to supply the Ukrainian fighters. What seems indisputable is that in that country, both sides are trying out new weapons, meaning the Ukrainians as well as the Russians. The Russians have just found out the tanks are useless and they might be developing new weapons. Wars are fought for this reason, too, to test your arsenals. Uh, This is what happened in the Spanish Civil War before the Second World War. Then he gives a couple of uh, historical examples involving our conflicts in, um, what does he say here? In Yemen, a couple of years ago, a ship docked in Genoa. It was loaded with weapons to be transferred to a cargo heading to Yemen uh it goes on saying or this is the interviewer again pope bergoglio's thoughts throughout our conversation always seem to turn back to what is right he has been repeatedly asking for a symbolic uh, been repeatedly asked rather for a symbolic visit to ukraine but his answer has always been uncompromising quote i am not ready to travel to kiev not yet i have sent my envoy cardinal michael cherny Uh, head of the Dicastery for the Promotion of Integral Human Development, and Cardinal Konrad Krajewski, the Pope's almoner. The latter, Francis says, has just visited Kiev for the fourth time, but I feel that I shouldn't go there, not yet. First, I must go to Moscow. So the other uh, statement that kind of caught the attention, definitely caught the attention of the Russian Orthodox uh, Church Francis said during the interview that Putin cannot, or excuse me, uh, Kirill, Patriarch Kirill, cannot or should not lower himself to become um, Putin's altar boy, I think is the term that he used. So the, the Russian Orthodox um, Patriarchate, specifically the Department for External Church Relations, responded by saying, quote, it is regrettable that a month and a half after the conversation with Patriarch Kirill, Pope Francis chose the wrong tone to convey the content of this conversation. So during the interview, uh, they, Pope Francis commented on his uh, virtual meeting with Patriarch Kirill and Metropolitan Hilarion, who's the head of the uh, Department for External Church Relations, the Russian Orthodox Church. This was held back in mid-March. I think it was March 16th. and. You know, after listening to Kirill explain all of his rationale for supporting Putin's decision, Francis basically said, I don't understand your reasoning and, you know, this is not acceptable, et et cetera, et cetera. So um, the Russian Orthodox Church has now said regarding this comment about Kirill not stooping to be uh, Putin's altar boy, such utterances can hardly further constructive dialogue between the Roman Catholic and Russian Orthodox churches, which is so necessary at the current time. And then it gives its account of what was supposedly actually said during the Mar- the mid-March conversation. So that that's uh, more. That's pretty much most of the interview there. They also Francis also talked about the um, kind of this. Controversy that erupted over the stations of the cross that we cover, you know, in Rome for Holy Week on Good Friday. We covered that a couple of weeks ago where you had the the Ukrainian woman and the Russian woman and kind of politicizing the way of the cross, basically. And then in well, this and essentially inter- this right.
1: this is, you know, selective ecumenism. So basically we want to you right. around everybody else. But if I don't like you, then I'm going to just like insult you, <laughs> right? Like, you know, insult the page. Patri- of, of Moscow, not because he denies the truth of the Catholic faith, not calling him back to the truth, but just with a personal odd hominem kind of attack, it just shows how low he has brought the great office of the papacy, that it's, it, you know, really, as was seen in the Deimos memo we covered a while ago and certainly in the Vatican, there's not even any respect among politicians. For Pope Francis, he's uh, just enmeshed himself in the nitty gritty of this sort of international disputes rather than taking the position of popes to stand on principle, uh, to stand uh, aloof from these these uh, these petty things and to be a source of unity. He's just being a source of disunity.
0: Right. So one closing note I noticed interesting at the end of this uh, summary of the interview, the interviewer says, the Holy Father's last thought is reserved to the late Cardinal Carlo uh, Martini, which is the <laughs> famous uh, like anti or pre pre Bergoglio Pope. Uh, he was the in charge of the infamous St Gallen Mafia, basically. So the interviewer says the last thought was reserved to Martini, in particular to what he considers what he, Francis, considers to be the, quote, perfect article that Martini wrote on terrorism and war after 9-11. It is Mm -hmm. so relevant, Pope Francis says, today that I asked to have it published in the Vatican's Osservatore Romano. I urge all journalists to keep on researching and investigating what is happening around the world. So every once in a while, Francis, during interviews or addresses, he will bring up Cardinal Martini specifically, which shows uh, where his loyalties really lie, I think, and who his mentors really are.
1: Yes, very, very much true. He has certainly been the great influence, as we've talked about before, on this.
0: Yeah. Uh, as John used to call him, well, we're uh, Francis short. is the Martini Pope. Yes,
1: yes. Well, we're running short on time, but we will talk on our our final stories. Uh, and so, again, this story, as Matt mentioned, uh, broke Really, the end of last week, and it is that the uh, Biden administration has established a disinformation board. Uh, again, they seem happy to outsource censorship to um, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, but now that maybe they don't have as much of a grip on Silicon Valley as they hoped with the Elon Musk movements against Twitter, now they want to bring it in house to the government and have the government Uh, censor essentially. And uh, as Matt said, this is being called around the internet, the ministry of truth, that reference as to a really prescient novel. I mean, that was written by a former communist in England in the 1930s uh, to show really how socialism works to establish it itself. Um, And uh, they establish everything that is its opposite. So the ministry of justice promotes injustice, the ministry of truth provokes disinformation and falsity Uh, and uh, their job the main character in it is there is to go and rewrite history so if the party decides oh well we don't like the way that happened let's go rewrite newspapers and they they literally change the history books and that's where the expression down the memory hole comes from because when his job uh, if there's something they want to get rid of, he pulls it out and puts it down this memory hole where it's everybody has to told they have to forget about it. Uh, so here's a little video I saw someone this was before this latest thing uh, but a little uh, video about the slogans because everything is slogans that they use the the Marxists. Uh, like being for the current thing uh, that I saw that really sums up their whole approach. And that's really what it's all about. They want you to believe the opposite. So war is really peace. Freedom is really slavery. They want you to believe the opposite of what is true and uh, under the guise of some pretext, right, of Ministry of Truth. So this disinformation board, we have no reason to believe is anything but a communist type uh, censorship organization based uh, primarily upon uh, the now confirmed uh, head uh, that will be uh, running this uh, this board. Nina Jankovic, I, I assume Jankovic is how it's pronounced, uh, will be uh, running this. And she is well known uh, for, first of all, she's uh, worked for the Ukrainian government uh, first to, red flag. <laughs> yeah, first red flag. Yeah, the Ukrainian government uh, and, uh, you know, focused in studying East former communist countries. Uh, she was still very vocal, uh, saying that the Biden, Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation, uh, which now even mainstream news outlets, CNN have admitted it was real. And that was all fake that it wasn't Russian, Russian disinformation. It was a real thing. Um, and so, but she's still sticking to her story. This is what I say it is. Uh, And she's going to be the person in charge of deciding what's true and what's not. Uh, the Biden administration uh, has said that this little board that she is, um, um, heading will work under the department of homeland security another very problematic government uh, uh, uh organization and uh its uh work would uh basically focus on uh suppressing and working against disinformation uh, information that's judged to be disinformation by her and her uh her other cohort or other uh people that she will get to Uh, Work for her. She also worked uh, for the Clinton, Fulbright Clinton Public Policy Fellowship. Uh, She is quoted as saying she views the Hunter Biden laptop as a quote, Trump campaign product. Again, (laughs) even though two years later, everybody's admitting it was a real laptop that is authentic.
0: And Uh, interestingly, she's also Jesuit educated. Uh, yes. Actually, I met a priest the other
1: night I was having dinner with He said every politician that's been a problem was Jesuit educated, from Fidel Castro to Anthony Fauci. Uh, they really are the worst. But in any event, this is really dystopian. I mean, this is uh, you yes. know, because particularly when socialism's losing people, when it's losing and it can and that's what they're losing everyone. And the only way they can survive is through force. And to force people and this is why they want to force people the transgender issue i think it's so important they want to force people to deny reality say that's a man well right. it's not yes say it and this is you know the, what the, the soviets and the and the communists did for years you just they, they want you to buy into their upside down through the looking glass version of reality because that's how if you concede that and and surrender your freedom of thought uh, your attachment to reality, then they have won over you and they control you.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'll I'll post a link to this article that was uh, posted at the Federalist a couple days ago, but it's called Six Dystopian Things Biden's quote, Disinformation Board Pick Nina Jankovic yes. has Done. And it goes through this list of six things, including some of which uh, Brian has mentioned. There's yes. also this really creepy weird video that she posted it's a from a tiktok video where she put strange words about disin you know how to quote combat disinformation to the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious yeah. song from mary poppins and yes. yeah it's just very bizarre it's all very bizarre yes and nothing good can come of it <laughs> no so uh, in closing for this story just the reaction of elon musk as news broke about this last week, he simply tweeted in response to somebody, quote, this is messed up. And yes. we certainly agree with that. Yes, absolutely. That's a, that really sums up uh,
1: this whole thing. Speaking of messed up. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So our next story, uh, this there's a new report out from uh, Michael Hitchborn of the Lepanto Institute, And again, I'll include a link in the video description so you can look at it more in detail. But the headline explains Catholic bishops fund pro-abortion doulas, which are women who assist with um, women who are pregnant and helping them prepare for childbirth and such. So Catholic bishops uh, fund pro-abortion doulas for third consecutive year, despite 2020 warning. And he... Uh, also has embedded in this article about a you know, roughly 18-minute video report that is good. I definitely recommend watching that as well. But here's his a little bit of his summary uh, on his website, Lepanto in, Lepantoin.org. In 2020, the Lepanto Institute sent a detailed report to the Catholic bishops of the United States proving that the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, the CCHD, provided a $60,000 grant to the OSTARA initiative. The report gave indisputable evidence that OSTARA was directly advocating abortion, quote, as a resource to women in prison while assisting women to gain access to abortion providers. One article cited in the report indicated that the the co-founder of the OSTARA initiative and her project director explained how their, quote, doulas have sometimes served as resources for women considering abortion, end quote. Another article said, quote, they have recently aided a few of their clients in accessing abortion care. So another story of the, the bishops just dropping the ball and using money donated by the faithful uh, to fund these immoral projects and initiatives mm-hmm. so we commend uh, michael hitchborn for his ongoing work to expose these um these horrible cases of of financial abuse really and we hope and pray that um yeah, someday god will deliver us from such wolves and sheep's clothing and give us bishops after his own heart that's what we that should be our prayer yes
1: Again, the bishops have just shown their dereliction of duty in this regard, and this is part of the other problem with collegiality, this bureaucratization of the episcopacy, rather than the bishop being responsible for his own diocese, which is manageable. That's the idea of diocese. They're manageable areas for a person to be responsible, and when they got too big, they were divided. They were subdivided into Major and minor sees, dependencies, but now the USDCB, the whole thing is you're part of this massive bureaucracy. You don't know what's going on. Everything's you don't know where things are being spent, and it's a way for the to really, uh, through bureaucratization, take away the personal responsibility of the bishop. And again, there are some good bishops. I think Bishop Strickland, a few out that are trying to reassert their care as a bishop for of his, his his diocese, but that's that's not the product of collegiality.
0: And I think the other issue in our country, anyway, is the entanglement, the the almost inseparable union between the USCCB and the Democratic Party. That's another major another major issue. Yes. Well, for
1: our final story um, today, we have again a very uh, positive, uplifting story. Walking for Tradition, Uh, a group of mothers uh, walked to Rome. And uh, went to a public audience, They didn't have a private audience, but a public audience with Pope Francis and brought letters from other women and mothers of priests, traditional priests, uh, asking, imploring Pope Francis to stop his uh, attack on the traditional liturgy that uh, their sons have dedicated their lives to. Uh, Some of them, not all, I think they were a small group, maybe five, uh, actually walked all the way from Paris to Rome, over 800 miles uh, walked to to Rome. They were joined along the way, so the group got bigger. I think as they went along, but there was a yeah. small group uh, that started in uh, Paris. And uh, again, there are many ways to respond to the current crisis in the church. Obviously, to to teach the faith, to to uh, resist Peter to the face when it has to be done by appropriate, inappropriate ways. Uh, but another is to uh, implore and to appeal to the graces that would be available uh, to. Uh, to any Pope, if he's going to allow himself to be open to it, uh, to of children of the church uh, appealing to their their mother. Uh, so they walked, they attended the, uh, as I said, the public audience. The Holy Father, however, actually even acknowledged that they were there. Uh, he said, quote, I cordially greet the French-speaking pilgrims, especially the associ- association La Voix Romane, which is the name of this group of mothers of priests, the, the mm-hmm. Roman way. Uh, who have come from France. So now, I have no idea if Pope Francis knew why they were there or what their background <laughs> was, but he did at least someone put on his uh, list of announcements to, uh, to note them. The women, as I said, brought and delivered letters addressed to the Pope from Faithful Attached to the Celebration of the Tridentine Rite. Uh, one of the mothers told uh, in an interview uh, with LifeSite um, News, uh, her name was Elizabeth Denis, uh, who walked the entire journey uh, from Paris, she was with that uh, group about her how her son has been a priest uh, for uh, ten years, uh, and her, her husband also walked along uh, with her, uh, and yes. uh, they really have said how their their families, their sons, have been strengthened by their love for the traditional liturgy and lead so many souls to turn to the Lord. So, uh, a beautiful way to give public witness to the traditional. Uh, liturgy of the Church, uh, particularly as mothers, right? Mother, the the vocation of a mother of a priest uh, is very great, and uh, maybe our viewers yes. know the beautiful story of the Mothers of Lou. There's this is little, di- little uh, village in Rome that didn't really have many vocations, and the mothers of the whole little town, Hamlet, got together and prayed for vocations regularly on a set day mm-hmm. every week. Uh, beautiful prayers that they preserve for us, and a. A, an avalanche, a flood of vocations came out of this tiny little hamlet because of the prayers of these mothers. So the prayers of mothers of priests are very uh, powerful. So we commend yes. them for their public witness. I mean, to make that long journey on foot to Rome, uh, to, make, uh, to witness to their son's vocations is wonderful.
0: Definitely. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our stories today. We thank you for joining us here on the Catholic Family News Weekly News Roundup. If you've enjoyed this show, we do ask that you uh, give us a, a thumbs up, a li- hit the like button, and yeah. make sure to share the video far and wide with your family and yes. friends. That's really how the main way that we get this content circulated is, is with your help, as Brian uh, reminds yes. us. We don't yes. have the money to pay for advertising, so we we count on you to be our algorithm, so to speak, yes. to spread this content. Yes. And ultimately, if you enjoy the free content we make available on our website and YouTube, Rumble channels, et cetera, we do ask for your support in the form of a monthly, or excuse me, an annual subscription to our monthly newspaper, Catholic Family mm-hmm. News. Speaking of which, the May issue is now out. Uh, and the the con the content in the May paper is available for preview on our website, CatholicFamilyNews.com. We also have some new online content. You want to check out Brian's interview of Father Armand de Maurey of the Priestly Fraternity of Saint Peter about his new book, and also uh, another part in Brian's series on the Mass is available. So make sure to check yes. out that content.
1: Yes, and wish all of the mothers out there uh, who. Uh, are watching a very happy Mother's Day, uh, you in such a beautiful way participate in the great mysteries of uh, of God of God's creation, right? Because you yes, uh, and you also share something that the fathers cannot uh, more directly the experience of the Blessed Virgin Mary by uh, to completely surrendering your fiat for for another to give your fiat uh, to. Uh, to give life to another. So we really honor you and wish you the best and hope you have a joyful Mother's Day.
0: And on that note, we will invoke Our Lady, our Blessed Mother, by praying the Hail Mary together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies, for as thy beloved son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Our Lady of Fatima,
0: pray for us. Pope
1: St. Pius V,
0: pray for us.
1: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll look forward, God willing, to see you next week.
0: God bless you.